What's up, guys? Woo! Last night at camp. I am glad that you're booing. It's way better than you being excited to go home. Hey, uh, I want to do something before we, we dive into God's Word. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 4 to, uh, for the, the whole night. So if you're looking for that, again, the, the table of contents in the front of your Bible is your friend. Check it out. 1 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Hey, but before we do that, there's just a, a group of, of peeps here that I want to recognize because uh, they're, they're the true heroes uh, of this camp. And honestly, you listened to me over the last you know four or five days. Um, say the same things that they say to you every single week. And for some reason, when I say it, it, it connects with you. But they, they say it every single week, and they're the, the true heroes. So uh, if you're a youth pastor here, will you just stand up real quick? Yeah, give it up for them. I am grateful to be a co-laborer with you guys and, and gals and, and grateful for the work you're doing in your students' life. There is a, another group of people I want to recognize. If you're a, a counselor here, will you stand up? You gave up your time. You gave up your time to be here. You slept on the most uncomfortable beds that it's... And if you're a guy counselor, you smelt some of the worst smells you've ever dealt with. Hey, thank you guys for doing what you do. This week has been an incredible week. I have loved getting to know you youth pastors and you counselors and you students. It's been a great week for me, so thank you for that. Um, I, I watched that video, and I, it reminded me of two things. Remember when I first came out here on, on Sunday night, I said, God's going to do big things. And he did. He did big things. And so we praise him for that. That's, that's the first thing I realized. The second thing I realized is that uh, after I watched Preston's bike jump is that I would still give him a one uh, out of 10. Hey, that was a bad, hey, I love you, but you know, you know. All right, let's dive into God's word. Um, before we do, I, I want, I, I got to tell you a story, okay? So my wife is a saint. I mean, you probably get that because she's married to me, so she's got to put up with a lot. But uh, we're, we're not, you all could probably run circles around us when it comes to the Instagram. Is that how you call it, the Instagram? Okay. So we both have, we both have Instagram. Uh, Insta, sorry. Is, this, is it still Insta or is it just Inst? It keeps the gram, not Inst. It, see, what you guys don't know is I'm way ahead of the curve. The next thing you're going to start calling it is the inst. So there you go. I'm setting trends. Setting trends. Okay, so we're, we both have whatever you call it, and, and we both have our own accounts. And she posts like crazy. She's like the picture taker, and uh, everybody follows me, but they should really follow her because she documents our life. Um, and so one day she goes to, get, to log into Instagram, and it's like, your password has changed. She got hacked, but not only did she get hacked, they changed the email address that, that you would use to get your password, and they changed her password, and so this is five months ago, 
and she still hasn't gotten her account back. But what's, what's interesting is they started to message her followers. They started to send out uh, direct messages. They started, uh, they started sending, like posting on her story. And they were trying to sell um, cryptocurrency. It was like crypto spam. You see that? Have you seen that before? Okay, so, so they, they, tried to, they tried to like s- send out this like, hey, this worked for me. Now you should do it. Cryptocurrency, woo. And uh, so crypto spam everywhere. And they started, see where they went wrong is they started posting bad words, like, like bad words. And if you, if you knew my wife, you would know she's the last person to use that kind of language. Like she just never would. It would never dawn on her. Like she, she's the one that drives and somebody like cuts her off and she's like, gee, Williker. (laughs) I love her for it. That's the kind of woman that she is. But they started messaging and asking for her cash app or, or her friend's cash apps. And so uh, they, they basically, they were hoping that my wife Kristen's account would be used to influence people to give money to this crypto like, scam that, that they're running. But, but there's no way that they made a single dollar off of stealing my wife's account. There's, well... Some people are dumb. Some people are dumb. But there's no way that they made a single dollar off of using her account because, because of who Kristen is. See, anyone who knew her would be able to instantly tell, one, that she doesn't use words like that, and two, that the, word, the world of cryptocurrencies is not her playground. Like, she doesn't even know what the word means. She's like, cryptocurrencies, I have no clue what that is. She's like, I'm busy raising four daughters. And and so she has no, I don't even know how crypto, if you know how cryptocurrency works, I would love for you to tell me because I, all I know is you, you, you put money in and you lose it. That's all I know. That's all. So, so I think it's just a, it's another scam to take your money and and devalue it, which is what our government's doing. Um, So, sorry. You guys, the point is they picked the wrong person. They didn't know her. They didn't, they didn't know they picked the wrong person. But they, they picked the wrong person because nobody's going to believe that that's what she's about. Nobody's going to, who knows her, is going to look at her character and then look at her Instagram hacked account and, and go, oh, yeah, this is, this is likely her. This is, she definitely would be the one posting these words or this, this scam because the messenger and the message have to line up. For something to work, for, for something to be convincing, for something to be effective, the messenger and the message need to line up. And so that's the truth about our ability to share our faith with others. And in 1 Timothy, Paul, he's going to tell Timothy in this text that, that our pursuit of godliness, the next step after camp, what, is, what does life look like after camp? The pursuit of godliness shows people what we are about. It validates the message that we're about, the gospel. It shows people this is the real deal. Because if you're not living it out, nobody's going to believe when you tell them that you have a greater hope than they have. Nobody. So let's dive in. Verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus 
constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Okay, so we have to, excuse me, we have to, we have to add some context here. So, so what is, in pointing out these things, what are these things? Well, in verse 16 of chapter 3, he says that the, the church should have a, a common confession of the truth of Scripture. So we should know and believe what the truth that, that, that Scripture tells us. And we, as the church, we should, we should join together and believe on the majors, right? Jesus is the only way. That, 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 that God is the creator of the universe, that, 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 that he gave all of us a spiritual gift. We'll get to that in a minute. But, but we, we need to agree on the majors. We, we, have to, we have to believe in this common confession of the truth of Scripture. Scripture is the word of God. Amen? And then in, in chapter 4, Verses one through five, right before our passage, he says, there also needs to be a common confrontation to false teaching. We can't stand for it. We have to look for it and we have to confront it in our churches and we have to confront it in love, right? When, when, when we see false teaching, we need to go, I, can we have a conversation? Because I see this and I know this to be true and, and, and that's why it's important for all of you all of you here to check everything that you ever hear against this word of God. Everything. What I've said this week, look, go ask your youth pastors, is what Mike's saying true? I would be offended if you didn't do that. Because the word of God is that important. And we don't have the, we don't have the choice to, to go around teaching false things. And you know where the most things are being taught that are false? Social media. You're going to follow these, these pastors that want to give a one-minute speech about how, how everything people have been teaching for millennia about Jesus is wrong. And they, they suddenly have this epiphany, and they're going to share it with you in one minute. You guys have to hold what you hear up to the lens of Scripture and ask if this is really true, because false teaching is like a cancer in the church. And he says, that, that we need to be constantly nourished, constantly fed by the word of God. Just like food fuels us. Right now you guys are running on like ice cream and hamburgers. Like, like food fuels us, right? The word of God fuels us spiritually. We have to be eating it. We have to be all about it. We have to be digesting it. We can't, we can't stay, we can't stay hungry or else we start to fade. We start to get weary, tired. This letter to Timothy is written to the Ephesian church. T Timothy was the pastor there. And, and the, the church was getting wrapped up in all this false teaching. And Paul's going to address it again, and then he's going to use an illustration to show how, how Timothy, the pastor, should move forward. And I, I think even though he's writing to a pastor about how to move forward, he's really writing to all of us, to the church, what, what we're supposed to do as, as, uh, as, as, as saints of the gospel, as we walk forward. So check it out. What, look at what verse seven says, seven and following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness for for bodily discipline is only of little profit but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come 
It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. And so he, he, he says something that's kind of funny. And, we, and some of you chuckled, but I'll, I'll, I'll kind of explain it. He says, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. See, at, at first we're like, why is he dogging on old ladies? But he's not. He's using a figure of speech. He's saying, he's saying, don't get wrapped up in old wives' tales. Don't get wrapped up in these things. So what, what would happen is, is uh, typically the women would be in, in the home with their kids. And so, so they would be the ones that would pass on these things. That's why, that's why they're called old, old wives' tales. Maybe you've heard uh, of some of these. They're, they're false, false myths passed down from, from mother to child. Have you, have you heard of this one? Maybe your mom told you this one. Uh, you need to wait an hour after eating to go. Okay, that's not true. It is not true. I'm happy to liberate you. Go in your freedom. Here's another one. Here's another one. Eating chicken soup can cure a cold. Not true. It's not true. Sorry. For those of you that love chicken soup, You can still eat it. It will have no bearing on your cold. So eat it all you want. All right, here's my favorite one. Ready? Ready? Okay. If you swallow gum, it gets stuck. Whoa, don't get ahead of me. If you swallow gum, it gets stuck in your stomach for... You got it. Not true. What... What kind of a digestive system did God give us if gum sticks up in here for seven years? When I was a kid, I would have just had a whole intestine full of gum. It would have just bottled up in there. You guys, these things, these things that we hear are so ridiculous that they don't deserve any space in our brains. They don't deserve, all of you who are like, yes, we can't, we have to wait until, and we have to wait uh, an hour until we can swim. Just let it go. Let it go. They shouldn't occupy space in our minds. And Paul says, have nothing to do with these. Now, now he's not talking about innocent wives' tales about waiting an hour after eating to swim or eating chicken soup or, or swallowing gum. He's talking about spiritual things. These myths that are creeping into the church that are that are, are distracting from the real issue that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He is He's the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through Him. And so He what He does is He gives Timothy a, a, an in other uh, on other hand, on the other hand, He, he gives them He gives them another thing to focus on. So don't focus on these old wives' tales, but do focus on disciplining yourself. Train yourself in, in the things that does matter. We should train ourselves for the purpose of godliness. See, what, what that looks like is, is we focus on right doctrine and, and, the, and, and the actions are going to lead us towards godliness. If, if we focus on training ourselves, then, then all of a sudden we're going to look down the road and we're going to be impressed with what God has done with what little we've given him. Because God does the growing. 
But what's amazing is, is he doesn't say here, he doesn't say, hey, Timothy, instead of following these myths, try to be godly. He says, train yourself, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. See, what happens when we try to be godly is, is we, we try really hard and then we fail. Then we pick ourselves up and we dust ourselves off and we try really hard to be godly and we fail. And then we, we pick ourselves, you, do you see the cycle? We, we, we keep trying to be godly we, with everything that we have, but no matter how hard we try, we just can't do it. How many of you guys in here, if you had never, ever run before, okay, I'm not talking about you track stars, I'm not talking about the cross country, or like I've run seven marathons this year, I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about anybody in here prior to ever having run before could wake up tomorrow morning and go and run a marathon. Anybody? Oh, some of you are lying. Some of you are like, I could do that. I'd love to see it. I would love to. I ran a half marathon. I ran five half marathons during COVID and it kicked my booty. And that was with training. So the, the point is that even though those of you who raised your hand know you're liars, um, <laughs> I guess at best mistaken. All right, I'll give you that. No amount of effort. Listen to what I'm saying. No amount of trying would, would enable you to finish a marathon unless you trained over time. There's no way to do it. Today, you could go out and run a mile maybe. Maybe you could go out and run two. And then a, a week later or two weeks later, you, you stretch it out and you go two and a half and then, and then maybe three and you work yourself up to six or eight. And, and so over time, you're starting to, to progress into the place where now you're getting closer. Should not have had those ribs. <laughs> you're getting closer to being able to do what you want to do. See, if we went out tomorrow morning and, and as a group, we just said, hey, we're going to run a marathon. You guys, if we did that, how many of us would leave discouraged? All of us, except for those few freaks out there that are like, I could do it. Uh, we would be discouraged. See, see, the truth is you condition your physical body for the work that you want it to do. You condition your physical body for whatever work you want it to do. If, if you, if you want to get stronger, you go to the gym. If you want to get get more endurance, you start running. It, it, it's all, it's all this, this idea that you condition your, your body and pulses that the end goal of spiritual training is not trying to be godly, but training, it, uh, but spiritual training is godliness for our good and for the good of others. So you condition your spirit, just like you condition your body, you condition your spirit for the work that you want it to do. Maybe an observation I've made over time, so you know it's going to be good. Many of us, many of us don't train because we have a hard time seeing the payoff. Many of us don't put the work in because we have a hard time seeing that in two months or three months or four months, we're actually going to be able to run that marathon. 
Some of us, we just go, why would I try? I'm going to go to heaven anyway. Or why would I train? I'm going to go to heaven anyway. What, what, what purpose is there? But Paul says that there are benefits of godliness, that it's profitable for all things. He says, he says in verse 8, and I'm going to hear an amen, uh, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. Okay. So for all of you who are in the gym and running, remember that when I get to this next verse. But godliness is profitable for all things. If you're willing to work on your, on your physical body, he, he says that godliness is profitable for way more because it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. We benefit from our godliness both here and now and also in eternity. And so, so it is worth it. We, we get, we get, if we focus on training and, and we start to live the godly life, we get to experience the abundant life with Christ now and in eternity. We get to experience ongoing freedom from sins that have plagued us for as long as we can remember. We get to experience the fullness of joy that David writes about in Psalm 1611. This is what he says. You will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Because in training, we get to experience these things that, that, that God promises us, the, the joy, the freedom, the abundant life. It doesn't just come from, from confessing or professing Jesus as Lord. It doesn't, it doesn't just come naturally. It's not, it's like you, you go to bed the night after you stand up at Heartland Christian camps on decision night and you wake up the next day and you've, you've defeated all temptation ever known to man. It doesn't mean you wake up and life is perfect. It's so, it's so easy. You wake up with a, a different identity. You wake up with a, a different values. You wake up with a different pri uh, priorities and perspective. But only through training do we experience the fullness of joy, the abundant life. Two more thoughts on, on spiritual training. Philippians 1.6 says that God goes first and that he sees it through. It says, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. The day we place our faith in Jesus, God begins this process of growth in us and, and he's working with us as we move forward. Because, bless you, good. Because training is is not just on God, it's also on us. It's also on us. Second uh, observation or second thought on spiritual training, it's much easier to do when you do it in community. It's much easier to do when you do it in community. I have this buddy Chase, uh, my, my buddy Chase, he's our worship pastor at, at the well, and I used to call him Noodle Arms. <laughs> and he was, uh, but about uh, maybe a little over a year ago, we started, we both got uh, memberships to, to Fort Washington Fitness in Fresno, and, uh, and we started going together. And, and he's no longer noodle arms. He has upgraded to, I don't know, potato arms or something. I don't know. But, but there's days, there are days where I don't want to go to the gym. There are days where I don't want to train. But you know what gets me out of bed? Knowing that Chase is there 
knowing that he's sitting there in the parking spot waiting for me. And that if I don't show up, I'm going to get a text message that says, well, bro, where are you? Like, I've been sitting here for, for 20 minutes waiting for you. And so there are days where I really don't want to go to the gym, but I do anyway because of community. It's interesting. Uh, Jesus, Jesus uh, who's really important, by the way, if you haven't picked that up this week, he, um, he does this with his disciples. And so what I want to encourage you to do when you're talking about spiritual training is set up different levels of accountability. I want to show you what I mean. So Jesus had the crowds that would follow him, right? That's like your church. That's, uh, that, that, that's, that's the, the whole church. And, and, and it's so important that you're a part of a Bible teaching church. The local church was set up by God and it is used by God and you, you, you really got to be a part of that. There's so much training that happens just in the context of the local church. But then Jesus calls the 12 and he, he, he shrinks the room and, and he becomes more intimate with those 12. He, he gets to know them. He does life with them. That's like the context of a, a small group, right? And then out of that, he has the three, right? Like his chosen people, his circle of love. I don't know. Uh, and and he, he goes even deeper with them. They, they're, the, they're the ones that get to go up on, on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Like he lets them into more of his life. And then he has the one. Listen, to all my guys that are married here, that one should be your wife. To all my girls who are married, that one should be your husband. To, what's going on? We disagree? Okay, because we'd fight it out. Okay. To everyone else, that one person should be the same gender. Find a dude that you, you really respect if you're a guy, that you're willing to let into the deepest parts of your life. If you're a girl, find that girl that you just go, we clicked and I trust you and I want you to bring, I want you to know me and I want to know you and I want to, I want to do, I want to do life together in this intimate relationship where we know each other. See, Jesus, when he would, he would draw back and he would, he would, he would go and, and he would, he would go into to silence and solitude and he would have that relationship with the father. And we need to have those relationships because training is so much easier. And honestly, it's more rewarding if we do it in the, in the context of community. But we all need a reason to train. Chase goes to the gym because he doesn't want to be noodle arms anymore. And in verse 10, Paul is going to give us our reason. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of believers, prescribe and teach these things. Now, we got we to go and, and work on this a little bit because there's some confusing parts in there. But what's not confusing is that we train, bless you, because we have fixed our hope on the living God. Because Jesus is the living God, our relationship with Christ is the reason for our effort. Because his love for us is so great that he became our savior. Now, now the next part of this verse, 
the, the savior of all men, especially of believers. If you just read that, you go, well, well, maybe, maybe Jesus is the savior of everyone. Maybe everyone is, it, maybe everyone just goes to heaven. It's so easy to, to read something out of context or, or not, not understand the full picture and, and start to, to put meaning to it. What he says is he's the savior of all men, which means his death was sufficient for all. Anybody who comes to him can be saved. His death was sufficient for the whole world. You know where we see that? John 3.16. Mm. Sweetness. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Great. So God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his son. It, his death is, is sufficient for everyone. But then he says, especially believers, it's, it's efficient or it's effective just for those who believe. John 3.16a, whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, so God, God loves the whole world, and he gave his son for them. And that death that he died on the cross, the forgiveness that comes along with that, becomes effective for those who, who not just believe about him, but believe in him, place their trust in him, surrender to him as, as their king. In verse 12, Paul's going to, connect Timothy's ability to influence others with his spiritual maturity. This is, this is a, a, a passage that's really, really relevant for you guys. He says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. See, in this culture, anyone under 40 was not taken seriously. In this culture, you had to be 40 years old or older to be taken seriously. So, so by that, I shouldn't even be here until next year. I, I, should, I, I should have no credibility. But, but Paul gives Timothy the antidote, the antidote to, 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 to what it looks like when people look down on you for your youthfulness. I want you to hear this because, because you're probably used to saying, and why don't people take me seriously? Why don't people in the church take me seriously? Why, why don't they listen to me when I talk? Why, why don't I have an influence with my friends? Why don't I have influence in my family? Here's why. He says, but rather, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So if you're wondering why people don't take you seriously, chances are, not 100%, but chances are it's because you're not living in a way worth being taken seriously of. Speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Are you living a life that deserves for people to take you serious? Because Paul says, those people that look down on you, and if you live your life for Jesus, sold out, committed, a life of uh, uh, a life in good with good speech, a life with good conduct, a life of love towards others, a life of faith, a life of purity. If you set an example for those, they'll listen to you. I promise. I've seen it in my life. That's the solution. As the solution is spiritual maturity, it's godliness. And it comes through training. It comes through community. 
So in other words, Paul says your ability to influence people is directly tied to your godliness or your maturity or your character. Do you get that from the beginning of my message? Kristen, Kristen's Instagram didn't, didn't influence anybody because they knew her character wasn't poor. And now, now Paul's telling us that if you want to influence people positively, you have to have good character. Nobody's going to listen to you if you don't. And so then Paul, Paul tells Timothy, as he wraps up um, this section of, of, of his letters, verses 13 and 14, he, he says, uh, as, he, as he, Timothy, leads the church, he's a representative of Paul, and that he has an important responsibility in the church at Ephesus. He says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. See, all of you, I've met your youth pastors. You're at, I, I trust that you're at churches that teach the Bible. But here's the thing. Many of you will move on at some point and you're gonna have to pick a church of your own my hope is that you always ask the question, is this a solid Bible teaching church? Not, not is the pastor funny? Not, not does he entertain me? Not do I like the, the color of the chairs? I mean, people, people pick churches for the dumbest reasons. But does this church teach right doctrine? And then he tells Timothy, and I'll tell you the same thing. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. Do not neglect your spiritual gift. It's for Timothy, it's teaching and exhortation. For you, I don't know what your spiritual gift is. And chances are at this age, you haven't explored that either. But God gives spiritual gifts. So how do we neglect them? Well, first is not knowing what they are. Because the truth is all believers have at least one. Nobody has them all and they are given to us for the purpose of blessing the church. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about it like this. Uh, we're one body, but, but many parts. So, so that's why it's so important for you to be a part of the local church, because without you, the church is less complete. We have spiritual gifts for the purpose of blessing the church. And then here's the other one, not using them. You could know what they are and just decide, eh, I don't want to use it. If you have the gift of teaching, you're like, I'm, I'm lazy. I don't want to do it. If you have the gift of, gift of hospitality, you're like, ah, you know what? I, I don't want to have to clean my house after. You can neglect by not knowing what they are and you can neglect them by not using them. And I would encourage you not to fall in the trap of either. And then, as we wrap up this text, in verses 15 and 16, Paul's going to wrap it all up, tie it up into a nice bow for us. He says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So he says, take pains. He says, be absorbed. What he, what he means is be about this stuff. Be about it. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. It's like in Deuteronomy 6. It's a passage known as the, the Shema. 
And, 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 and God tells the Israelites, like, hey, wherever you go, whether it's like you're lying down or you're, you're standing up or you're, you're walking by the way or, or whether you're going through your doorposts or, or all these things, just be about me. He says, be about me. Don't fake it. Just be about me. And here we see Paul is saying the same thing to Timothy, and I'm saying the same thing to you. Be about Jesus. Live your life as a follower of Christ. Yeah, you may have hard times. You may have struggles. You may have temptation. But when people look at the big picture of your life, are they going to see Jesus or are they going to see the world? So he says, be about these things, this right doctrine, this Jesus. He says, watch yourself and your teaching. Watch yourself. Watch what you're modeling. Watch what you're teaching. Watch your doctrine. Because the messenger and the message have to be connected. So why does this matter? Well, he says, your progress will be evident to all. He says, he says, if you, if you focus on training and you grow in godliness and you mature in your faith, God gets the glory. He says, your progress will be evident to all. Verse 15. So as you put God on display, as you train over time, others will notice your progress and they will give glory to God in heaven. And so Paul writes about this in, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 13. He says, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. So when you live your life for Jesus, God gets the glory. People are going to see God in the way you live your life as you shine Jesus onto the community that you're going back to. But that's not the only reason we do it. He also says that it's for our good and for the good of others. He says, he says, when you do this, you're going to ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So to ensure salvation in this context, it, it means you'll be saved from a purposeless life. You'll have salvation from a life without purpose. It's the same word as, that he uses in, in chapter 2, verse 15, where Paul tells us that, that women will be fulfilled in their purpose. They will be saved through their purpose their, as their God-given role in the one who births children. And we see the same word being used here, that, that, that you will be saved from purposeless life. But also, I think he means eternal salvation as well. And to be clear, we don't save ourselves. We don't save others. God does that. Ephesians 2, right? We're saved by grace through faith, not of yourself. But godliness over time is the proof of our salvation. Godliness is the witness that leads others to Christ. And so as you shine godliness into the world, you're going to prove your salvation and you're going to influence others toward salvation. And so God blesses us with a role to play in the salvation of others. Now, I don't know exactly how this works, if I'm going to be honest with you. Like, if you ask me to describe the Trinity, I would give you a terrible, I would give you my best answer. It would be terrible and probably heresy. So, so it's, it's, it's one of those hard things to understand. Like, what role do we play in salvation? Here's my best effort. If it's her heresy, forgive me. Um, did you ever sit on your parents' lap while you drove a car? Okay, you're all going to prison. 
Okay. I'm just kidding. You're not going to prison. Well, maybe some of you will, but not tonight. Whew. I'm getting feisty. I'm tired. All right. So in some sense of the word, right, you're sitting on, you're sitting on your parents' lap. We'll say it's, it's your dad's and, and he's letting you drive like he shouldn't have in the first place. Um, and, and in some sense, your dad is driving the car. Right, he's there. He's pushing the pedal because you're too short to press the pedal, and, and and he's driving the car. But he's also letting you drive. Like he he's he he's he's letting you play a part in the driving of the car. Like you're you're kind of steering, but he's really steering. You're you're maybe you're tall enough. You're kind of pushing the pedal, but he's like kicks your foot out of the way when you're going too fast. Like like in in some sense, you're driving, and in in a very more real sense. He's driving. Your dad's really driving, but but you also get the joy of driving. That's the same way it is with us in, in, as we share our faith with others. Like, like God's doing the driving, but he gives us the joy of being a part of the driving. He gives us a joy in playing a role. Those of you who stood up on decision night, the joy that you gave me and everyone around here who's invested in your life is something you won't know until you invest in somebody else's life. It's incredible to see the fact that God allowed us to play even a small part in calling you to salvation. That's a huge deal. So how do we, how do we train ourselves so that we can have this impact in other people's lives? How do we train ourselves so that, so that we, we, can, we can play this role in our communities when we go back down the mountain? Here's the most profound thing I could come up with. Just take the next step. Just take the next step. Because sometimes getting started is the hardest step of all. If you're here and you're like, I don't even know what a life group is, talk to your youth pastor. If you're here and you're like, I don't have an accountability group, just take the next step, start one. If you're, if you're here and the first time you've ever read the Bible was here at Heartland Camp, go home and read it on your own. If you've never prayed, let tonight be the first night. Take the first step because the first step is the hardest. I have a, I have a friend, he's my associate pastor at the well. His name's Brian King. And he often, I mean, he's 60. And he often drops the, the most incredible wisdom on me. I'm like, dang, I wish I was 60. And then I walk. And I'm like, well, I feel like I'm 60. So here's the deal. He says this, this topic matters because for some people, you may be the only gospel that they ever read. That's a, that's reason in of itself. And he's right. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Live your life for Jesus down the mountain, in your schools, in your churches, in your families, because if you don't, people may not come to Christ. I don't know how that works, but I know it's in God's word. You have a role to play in salvation as you head down this mountain. It's not just your life that, that is hanging in the balance. It's the life of people you love. 
who your life gets to scream Jesus to as you pursue godliness. We are ambassadors for Christ. So devote yourself to spiritual training. People are watching. That person that you're longing for them to give their life to Christ, he or she is watching you. They're gonna, they're gonna watch you come down the mountain. They're gonna wonder, did God impact your life? People are gonna ask you, how was camp? What are you gonna tell them? Good? Or are you gonna tell them of all the things God did while you were here? See, I have kids. I know how this works. They come, they come home from camp. My daughter's at, at Hume Lake right now. I'm not supposed to say Hume Lake. They're, Hume Lake right now, seventh grade camp. And I'm going to ask her, how was camp? And her first thought is, good. I'm just wondering if that's enough. I want to challenge you. Invest in the life of those people back home. The lives of those people back home that you desperately want to know Jesus. Share with them the the miracles that happened up at Heartland Camp. Share with them what you learn from God's word, share with them the truth that you're gonna live your life by from now on. Because they're asking themselves, as they look at you, does the message match up with the messenger? We're gonna wrap up camp. Just like that, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up camp, we're gonna head out from here, we're gonna go over to the field and we're gonna share and it's gonna be an incredible time and then tomorrow you're gonna get in, bands, in vans or buses and, and, and you're gonna go back down the mountain and you're gonna go back to the place where your life was before you came here. But you get the choice. So you're gonna go back to the place where your life was and was taking place before you came here, but are you gonna go back to your old life? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my friends here. I pray that, that, they, that they have experienced the blessing that only comes through worshiping you. I pray that this week at Heartland has been life-changing, eternity-changing for some of them. And Lord, as they think about what life looks like going back down the mountain, I pray that they would invest in training their themselves spiritually. Because God, I pray that one year or two years or five years down the road, somebody's going to look at their life and they're going to go, the message matches the messenger. And they're going to point back to Heartland Christian Camps 2022. They're going to praise you for the work that you did in your in their lives. So Lord, let this be a commencement, a beginning of the lives that they're going to live when they go back to, to all the different cities that are, are represented here. Let this be a beginning of a changed life as they, as they put on the new self and take off the old self, as they, as they wake up every day training themselves in godliness, as they pursue life in community and, and do life with other Christians that, 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 that spur them on. God, let this be camp that multiplies by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.